So today we finish up our seven-week series on Christian hope. So I'm going to spend the first few minutes just kind of going over what we've learned. We'll be in Romans 5, verse 1, in a little bit. Uh, Today we're looking at the hope through the glory of God. So we're finishing up this. We're going to spend four weeks in the little letter of Jude, which I think is a good letter for our day and age, a little uh, book uh, toward the end of the New Testament, and then after that, we're going to embark on a long series on heaven. I think it'll be heavenly. But what is hope? Uh, Again, not wishing, we're looking at the secular view of hope, you know, and the way we use the word is hope. We hope something happens. We wish it happens. Biblical hope is full assurance, not uncertain desire. We've looked at that. Uh, that's what you want to remember. It's uh, assurance in God's promises, eternal life through Christ. We've sung about that. Uh, God's presence with us, God's protection from evil. These are things he promises, and we don't hope and wish that these are true. We hope and know that they are true, and that's what the word hope means. And this is to be true for all followers. Again, our kind of main verse is the first Peter verse that says that we're supposed to worship Christ as Lord of your life, but if someone asks you about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it, and that's something you always want to do. Always think about how could I tell people, why do I follow Jesus? You know, what, what's the reasons I do? Uh, so biblical hope is not uncertain desire, it is confident expectation. So we went through that first four weeks looking at reasons we have uh, for having Christian hope. Uh, God's grace, we just sang about that, uh, the gospel, the truth of that, which we'll look at again at the end, Jesus' resurrection, the fact that that's why Easter is such a big deal, because if he is risen, then everything is vindicated, and the new birth that comes through the Spirit because of that, and then the scriptures, it says, were written for us to know him better. And then we looked more specifically what we can hope for. In the last couple of weeks, we, we looked at we can hope for the second coming, of Jesus, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we last week, we looked at the hope we have in having a glorified body. You know, uh, as, uh, as something like Collins grows and gets bigger and your body gets to a point of a peak, I don't know what age that was for you, um, and it's long in the background for me, uh, but, you know, that's what we, we hope that we have a body that, that that perfect age is there. It's a glorified body, no sin, uh, no suffering, no pain, new heaven, new earth, uh, evil defeated. That, that's what we're looking forward to. This week, we're looking at something else. We're looking at hoping in the glory of God. So let's ver- look at verse 1 through 5. Therefore, uh, well, we got to stop quickly. Therefore, he's summing up the, the reason that we can have hope in Christ and the idea that even though uh, we can see God through creation and our own conscience, that it's through Christ that we truly are saved. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is a good set of verses to know. They're all good, I guess, but this sums up a lot, and we're going to look at this glory idea 
we see that from that God's glory is very great. You see this when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and explaining who God is. He says, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is spirit. We talked about that last week. God, in his essence, is non-physical. Uh, we were created as both a physical and non-physical combination. If you want to get into that, you can look at last week's sermon or give me a call. Uh, or Google it, but you can get in trouble if you Google it. Make sure you get good sources. Uh, there's bad sources out there too. But what does it mean? Well, he's infinite. He's eternal, unchanging. In his being, he has wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Uh, and that's just kind of a subset. So he's very great. It's something that the greatest, maximally great being is the way we put it. In other words, God is very great. Um, and therefore, his glory is very great. So this is hard sometimes to get our minds around. You know, sometimes we, we uh, you can say that all you want. You know, we, we can say God is good. We can say God is great. And it's one thing to say. It's one thing to kind of know it. It's another thing to really feel it. And if you're not filled this morning with the joy at the prospect of seeing and sharing in this glory, which is the promise, sure and certain hope that we have, then we should pray that God would open our eyes. Open the eyes of our heart, as it says in Ephesians, and awaken our souls. It's like, you know, because that happens to us. I know it happens to all of us. You go through different things in your life. We, it talks about rejoicing in your sufferings here in this scripture, which seems kind of weird. Uh, but suffering for faithful people turn them back to God. Um, I don't know if I necessarily like that, but it is true. Uh, and so sometimes we don't feel God's glory. We don't feel God's love. We don't feel God's greatness and goodness, even though we may know it's true. And so we pray for that. I think we pray for the, uh, I think the older I get, I think the Holy Spirit is kind of the arbiter of our emotions in some ways. He gives us that emotional, among other things, gives us that emotional connection to, to the Father um, and the Son. In Ephesians, it says, Paul's praying for the Ephesian Christians, you know, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? So the hope is in there again. This glory is in there again. So just what is God's glory? We use this term a lot. We sing it a lot during Christmas. Glory to him in the highest and peace on earth, you know. But what is glory? What, what does that mean? It's, well, you go back to the words, right? The word in Hebrew is kavod. And it has kind of an interesting connotation to it. It's, it's a word that has uh, the idea of like weight or heaviness. Uh, not like in a bad way, but in a good way. And worthiness, it's w more weighty. We use that word sometimes, right? This has more, you might use the word priority, but if you're, you know, working and you say, well, this, this, this particular task has more weight than this one. I got to get this one done. And that's kind of what's here. And in The Great Divorce, which is an interesting book, it's, a, it's, it's I wish it was named or was titled differently. This is written by C.S. Lewis a number of decades ago. Um, I would have titled it The Divide Between Heaven and Hell because that's what it's about. You know, we see the word divorce and what do you think of? Yeah, marriage. And that's obviously not what he's talking. He's talking about, we just talked, we, we sang that in the second song, the chasm 
how great the chasm between. It's the different, and, and it's an allegory of what that might look like. And in this, he kind of gets into this, this glory weightiness stuff. And if, just to take you into the book a little bit, there's people who are in hell, and then they can, and this is not necessarily biblical, but it's an allegory. But, you know, they can take this little bus and go kind of on the outskirts of heaven. And then in some ways they can maybe try to go and maybe they can and it's kind of an inner, you can read the book. But, but uh, so in the middle of that, they go and, and, and he, he starts to find out that he's kind of watching this. this. He's kind of a third party watcher. And, and he said, as he looks at these people who are in hell and kind of just skirting it, he says, they were in the light, but they were transparent, fully transparent when they stood between me and it, the heaven smudgy and imperfectly opaque when they stood in the shadow of some tree. And they get off the bus, and he says, it was the light, the grass, the trees that were much different, made of some different substance, so much solider than the things in our country that men were ghosts by comparison. And he goes on to talk about one person tries to pick a flower, and it's just like a stone. You can't touch it. And the, the grass hurts their feet because it it's just so weighty. It, it, he's trying to make an allegory that the, the, the true heaven, the new heaven new, is, is so much more weighty than the shadow, certainly of hell, and the, even the shadow that we're in now on earth, that it's much more weighty, much more real, and so real that if you're not part of it, you can't even encounter it. If you get a chance to read that book, it's kind of neat. It's a, between heaven and hell. It actually worked in the the heaven series to some extent too. So in the Old Testament, it's got a worthy weightiness, kind of a heaviness. In the Old Testament, God's glory denotes his being in, the, in nature, character, presence to humanity, sometimes with physical phenomena. You'll see this in Exodus. We miss this sometimes. You, you've probably seen the, if you haven't read the book, you've probably seen the movie, right? The Ten Commandments. You get the, and as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. I wonder what that looked like. You know, they do it, if Cecil B. DeMille gave it a shot, uh, and then whoever animated the, you know, the, the, the Moses uh, animated did it too. But the glory, it's like the presence, right, of the Lord. And then later in Exodus 40, when then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's, it's like his presence, his, his purity, his worthiness, his heaviness, his... Uh, and and, and it's, you kind of see it in a cloud a little bit. Ezekiel, we got to go through this book in one of our Bible studies sometime because it's got some, it has some cool stuff in it. Uh, they should make a movie of, of Ezekiel. You'd have to have a lot of special effects. Um, in the very first chapter, he gets this vision, and he says, all around him was a glowing halo, and this is around the throne, like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. When I saw it, I fell face down on the ground and I heard someone's voice speaking to me. Notice what he does when he encounters it. You know, you see this a little bit. You know, when people encounter, you get this with Isaiah too. When Isaiah encounters in chapter 6, God, he just goes right on his belly. It's just amazing. It's like, and he knows he's not worthy. That's, again, glory, worthiness. In Psalm 57, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So what do you do when you try to figure out what glory means? Well, substitute what you think. Presence, right? 
Maybe holy presence would be a good word. That's kind of what, because we say glory all the time, and we sometimes we say we want to give glory to God. We had that, I don't know if we did that at VBS, but rise and shine and give God the glory. You want to sing along? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, what do, we, what do we say when we give God glory? It's, it's essentially giving him praise because of his character, because of who he is, what makes him up. It's, 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 that's probably why they use the word glory, because that probably doesn't quite do it, but that's the idea. You ever think about it, you know, when you pray, we've done this before, you got really four main ways of prayer, and, and, the, and the ACTS acronym really helps, you know, you got adoration or praise, you know, confession, the C, the T is thanksgiving, and C is supplication or asking, that's the, sometimes we run to that last one a little bit too quickly, but what's the difference between praying to God a prayer of thanks and praying to God a prayer of praise? kind of seem the same, really, don't they? I think really the difference, and they do cross over, uh, we thank him for what he's done. We might pray, thank you, Lord, uh, thank you, Father, for sending your son to make the ultimate difference. Thank you for your promises to be with me even throughout the darkest days, or whatever you want to thank him for. Uh, don't just do it at Thanksgiving, although you can. Uh, but you praise God for who he is. I praise you because you are glorious perfect, eternal, all good, holy, you know, however you want the, his attributes. So that's kind of what glory kind of skirts. And then we get to the New Testament, the word is doxa. In fact, in some churches, they have what's called a doxology. It's a glory to God, and you know, it's usually the word glory. Uh, it focuses on God's reputation and honor chiefly shown in Jesus. So it's another show, uh, illustration of Jesus being Yahweh, because the only the glory comes to Yahweh in the Old Testament, and it's attributed to Jesus. So it's kind of like, it kind of looks like Yahweh. Actually, kind of seems to show us who Yahweh is. And you get this in Hebrews 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. These are Yahweh attributes. You know, I heard people say, you know, well, it never says that Jesus is Yahweh, and the Bible is like, I don't know what Bible you're reading. It says it over and over and over again. He is the glory of God. It's, 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 you know, he has the same nature as God. And then Jesus' glory was seen in part by his disciples and then pointedly at the transfiguration. In John 1, this is probably, I don't know if you do this, if you don't, we did this uh, when you, back when I was in the Presbyterian Church when we did confirmation. And here we try to, if you wonder how we do things, we try to get you started when you're really dinky. That's why we need those preschool teachers. And then just take you through every week trying to teach you. So once you get to confirmation age, you know it so well and you're ready to go and be a disciple. And, and so it's a different model. Uh, nothing wrong with the other one. But when I did confirmation, we always had a life verse. I said, get yourself a life verse. What is that? The verse that means the most to you right now. And that might change next week because <laughs> circumstances can change. Right now, this is kind of my life verse. I just like this. It's just such a good verse that sums up so much. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
it's kind of, it's just, you know, the Word became flesh, that the second person of the Trinity became incarnate, fleshy, became human, and we have seen His glory. Well, well how do we, what do we mean by glory there? Because what happens in the Old Testament when they see God's glory? They go on the ground, like, get out of here. Well, people, I mean, it happens sometimes, but sometimes people come to Jesus and he acts like, this looks like another dude. You know, don't fear anybody else. But if you go with holy character, then this makes sense. We've seen his holy character. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of quirky to say it this way, but I like it. If you want to know what God's like, let Jesus take you by the hand and show you. It's the best way. You know, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then later in his ministry, we see Moses and Elijah appear with him in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That transfiguration is really interesting. It's like a pinprick of the heavenly into earth for a little bit. It's almost like I think the three that were up there, and Peter's kind of like, I think if I remember technically what he said was... (laughs) <laughs> which translates as, you know, the, it's just that they were just in awe. It, 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 you just see a little bit of really what he looks like. We see this in Revelation 1, where we get a view of who Jesus is, just enough uh, to get an idea of how weighty this is. But, and I remember, I don't remember, as I said at the children's, I don't remember when I was born very well, but I do remember we had a children's Bible that had the, a picture of the transfiguration in it. And as I think back on it now, because I can see the picture, you've got to close your eyes to see this if you want. You can do it. Can you see it? <laughs> the tra- it all three of the personages were glowing. And I'm like, as I read this, I don't think they were all three glowing. I think Jesus was glowing and the, and the light came up on the other two. And it's not a big deal, but I'm, hey, I got the mic. It's my picture. I'll do what I want with it. But we see, they see a little bit of his glory there, a little bit of his character. There's more here. Than, and, than what we, and when we talked about last week, we will get, and it says glorified bodies. So I suppose in the new heaven and the new earth, we're able to see him without just hitting the ground also, but also just so in awe of who he is and what he's about. You know, I think we get a little of that, you know. Do you think heaven will be boring? You know, you get these, you know, these movies and comics and stuff that make it sound like we're just up there playing a harp. Um, it'd be cool to play a harp, I guess. But anyway, uh, I don't think it'll be boring. We'll talk about that for about 22 weeks here in a little bit. So uh, heaven won't be boring. If, we're, if you think heaven's boring, you probably don't have a good, very good picture of it. Because um, you see, you know, all these people, they're just... These beings, these creatures, they're just worshiping Yahweh, and they seem like they're not bored. And I'll have to admit, I think I might be bored. Why? I don't think I'm understanding. I don't think I quite get it. I'm just getting a little bit of it. Because they're not bored. In fact, if anybody encounters Yahweh in the Old Testament or the New, they're not bored. They're scared. Yeah, because they see who he is. And then when Judas goes out here in the upper room, uh, Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified. There's that word again. And God is glorified in him. God, the Son of Man's character as Yahweh is going to be shown, and we will praise God for his character. So 
ultimately, Jesus' glory was shown in His death, His character, right? Greater love has no one than to give up His life for His friend, you know. And His essence of who He is, that this, I'm doing this for you as a sacrifice. His glory is shown in His resurrection, that He did not stay dead in His ascension and going back to the Father and will culminate in His second coming. And, and we see this in His own words. If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when He returns in the glory of His Father with His holy angels. You'll get to see it. And I, I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, most days. I don't know if you ever think about that, but sometimes I think when I'm really close to God, I'm looking forward to it. But when I'm not, I'm like, you can wait a little bit. Let me get ready as if we can ever be completely ready. So when we hope in God's glory, we hope in His holy essence, His character, His power, His presence, all those things. I think that's, it, it, that word takes in a lot, and it's shown in Christ. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance with patience and joy. And in John 12, he gets upset at them because he's there, he says, you Pharisees, a lot of you, you're worried about more people lifting your character up, people lifting your character up and saying you're a good person instead of God doing that. You're worried more about the glory from people than you are from God, who is your real audience. But God carries this most important weight. And then you get this weightiness in 2 Corinthians where he says, for this light momentary affliction, this body we live in now, the suffering we go through, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's kind of both the Old and the New Testament view of this, beyond all comparison. So what does it mean to experience his glory versus not? Well, the great punishment in the day of judgment is the exclusion from his glory. You won't be transformed in a way that you can actually experience it. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And that's what we were created for. That's why we dedicate children, because we want them to have the faith to know what is prepared, God has prepared for them and all who believe. Ultimately, this glory is going to illuminate everything. I don't know how this works, if this is a metaphor and the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's pretty cool. In our world now, everything's pretty much dark unless something illuminates it. It seems like in that world, everything's light unless something darkens it, and there's nothing to darken it. You know? I hope we can still sleep okay. Well, will we sleep in heaven? Eh, we'll work through that later. I don't know. Anybody ever ask you if you had a good night's sleep? I always like to say, well, I don't know, I was asleep. <laughs> I guess I'll tell you later, see how I feel in an hour. So Romans 5, 1 and 2, as we sum this up, it gives us, it gives us the gospel. It gives us why we can hope in the glory of God. It goes, says we're justified by our faith. We're seen just, we're seen righteous, we're seen blameless, by our faith in the grace of God, which gives us peace with God through Jesus. We have peace. We're no longer enemies. Ephesians 2 talks about that quite a bit. And we have access to grace through faith, which causes joy. 
And kind of like we talked before, if you're not feeling joy and there's days I don't either, you pray, okay, I'm supposed to rejoice in the Lord. I want, you know, and I think our focus on Him helps us even through the tough times. And this leads to hope, this full assurance in the glory of God. Again, we're assuming that Jesus isn't lying. That if you come to me, all you are having, I'll give you rest. That if you have faith in me, the grace will be operative, and I really will see you as righteous, and you will eventually be glorified. We're, we're essentially putting all our eggs in the Jesus basket, which is a good basket to have them in. We think he knows what he's talking about. And just to hit these last few verses, we have joy in our sufferings, which implies what? You're going to have some. Don't, don't go for them. They'll, they'll come on their own. I mean, in this world, we will have trouble, Jesus said. Well, why? Well, because suffering produces endurance, staying power. And I know some of us go through stuff where, like, I think I'm a dirt enough. I don't think I need any more tests, but only God knows, I guess, what we need. But it does do that. The test of our faith when we go through tough times, uh, it's not all a test, and, and we know a loving God wants us to look at the world we were created for, which is not this one. Um, but it does do that. If your faith is never tested, you never know really how tough it is. Um, and if you have endurance, then it produces character. Well, the character of maybe what God wants us to have. In, in some ways, sharing in God's glory. And then eventually that character produces hope. It's kind of, this is an interesting thing to think about. Suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So maybe that's what the suffering, and maybe the suffering there is, is more than just our own suffering, but the suffering is of other people as we come together and try to help. So in 2 Corinthians it says, all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. I guess the best way to put that is we become, we become more Christ-like. We reflect His character more and more as we follow Him and understand Him, and, and we're changed by the Spirit. And to sum up this last verse, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. And that's true no matter where you're going through. And again, if you don't feel it, pray for it. Have other people pray for it. So you do feel it, because they think God wants us to feel it. So this hope in God will not disappoint. Why? Because the Spirit Himself tells the souls of His people that He loves us. And we need to grab onto that promise. That's a promise, folks, that He will, He will, intercede for his people. And if you pray, if you're wondering today, does God love me? Well, pray, God, show me that love. I think he'll show you. And I hope that you have other people pray that for you too. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for giving us these scriptures for this series to help us uh, have true Christian hope for each one here. I pray that they have a sure and certain uh, promise that they believe in those that way, that they look to your son, that he has given them everything they need, that their hope isn't just wishing, but assurance that Jesus can be trusted. By our faith, we look to him and grab onto the promises that he gives us so clearly. Protection from evil, presence 
and eternal life with you, changing us to be closer and closer to your glory, of which we hope in, in his name, amen.